They called us monsters, so monsters we became. We are monsters out of the closet. I'm Nicole. And I'm Shreya. As we traverse into our second year of stories, you may think you're in familiar territory. But as it so often happens, things are not always what they seem. The everyday is rife with turmoil, especially if you have to deal with supernatural apparitions on top of navigating cafeteria social circles. In this month's episode, we feature Carmen Deer, an audio play that delves into the deep conflicts that lie behind the veneer of high school malaise. This piece was written by Ari Ryder and features them as the voice of Mind's Eye, Christine Nguyen as Mariko, Nicole Penrod as Carmen, and Julio Urquidi as Mr. Ramos. There is no such thing as a story. Stories don't exist in nature. It is only human beings who inflict our limits and linearity onto the rest of the universe and fit it into our own little narratives in an effort to better understand it. What we fail to realize is that we can never understand it, that our efforts amount to little more than a rough approximation of the way we want the world to work. It's a truth very few realize, and one no one wants to know. But sometimes, once in a rare while, these made-up stories grow beyond our control. They become entities in their own right, with their own hopes and dreams and feelings. They become dangerous. Not of their own accord, of course. After all, how can something that does not exist be dangerous? No, they are dangerous because we believe them, because we are taken in by the lie of causality and forced by our fragile minds to act upon these empty promises. Stories are dangerous, in short, because we're the ones telling them, and we are dangerous. You may have figured out by now that I don't have many friends. For what it's worth, making friends was never high on my list of priorities. Other humans just fail to interest me. I don't have anything against them, but on the other hand, I don't have any reason to bother trying when I know I'm only going to be disappointed in the end. Sometimes, however, I don't have a choice. It started as an average, glorious day at an American public high school. As usual, I entered the cafeteria from the north side, specifically to avoid the steady stream of students now trickling through the opposite entrance. Because of the law of human laziness, I estimated that I had maybe four minutes before the tables on this side of the room started filling up. I gritted my teeth and took a seat as close to the north entrance as I could. Four minutes, better than nothing. And then, just as I was settling in, I heard it. A clear, single note, piercing through the rising conversations like an arrow to the heart. Woodwind of some sort. Not blunt enough to be a recorder. A flute, maybe? Or maybe not. Not quite pure enough, and a good bit brassier. Well, it wouldn't take long to find out. After all, if I could see everyone, then conversely, everyone could see me. But here and now, it just might have come in handy. As I suspected, only one person in the cafeteria with an instrument at all, woodwind or otherwise. She was standing by the wall a few tables from me, music stands set up before her as she played her instrument. Definitely not a recorder, nor did it look like any flute I'd seen before. What was it? A clarinet, maybe? 
or some bizarre trombone? While I was unfamiliar with the instrument, I recognized the girl playing it almost instantly. As I should have, I suppose. After all, Carmen Ramos and I had gone to the same school since kindergarten. Not that we'd ever exchanged more than pleasantries. Actually, I don't know if we'd ever even exchanged pleasantries. Maybe a curt nod in the hallway on the way to class. I knew practically nothing about her. Certainly not that she played an instrument. I must admit, whatever she was playing, she played it well. Her fingers traipsed deftly up and down the length of the instrument, her eyebrows furrowed in concentration, her eyes only opening every few seconds to glance at the next note in the sequence. And as she played, her music filled the air, drowning out the pointless chatter of vapid teenagers and replacing every inane word with her harmonies. The cafeteria faded to black, and all there was, all there had ever been, was that pure, sweet sound, echoing on forever. What do you think you're looking at? I stopped, as had the music. Carmen Ramos's attention had shifted from the music stand to my face, and it did not seem like attention I wanted. So I shrank back and bowed my head slightly. Nothing. Your music was nice, that's all. Carmen Ramos sneered. Good save. Yeah, sorry, the music room was locked and I had to practice in front of you. Just as swiftly and deftly as she'd been playing, she tossed her instrument into its case, shut and locked said case, and swung it over her shoulder. She marched past me briskly, pushed open the north door, and was gone. Thus ended my first human interaction in days. And I would have been perfectly content to leave it at that, had my eyes not alighted on the music stand she left behind. Sat neatly on the stand was a booklet, open to a page titled Dried Romanzen, for Oboe. I could have just left them there, book and music stand both. After all, I'm sure Carmen would have come looking for them, and even if not, Someone else would have taken them back to the music department where she'd find them sooner or later. Sometimes I wonder what my life would be like if I'd considered these facts, and left the items there for the next person with a disposition towards responsibility. I have no way of knowing, of course, but I'd imagine it would have turned out quite different. But I don't live that life. I live a life where I picked up stand and songbook both, where I carry them past the north door, where I consciously decided to return them to Carmen Ramos. Navigating the labyrinthine corridors of the high school was difficult enough with a clear head and empty hands. Now though, in addition to my backpack, I had a music stand in one hand, an oboe practice book in the other, and the mounting pressure of responsibility that came with those items in my mind. I soon began to doubt that I would ever find Carmen Ramos. Rather than wander the corridors for the rest of eternity then, I elected to retrace my steps and leave both stand and songbook exactly as I'd found them. It was at that moment that I heard the scream. The piercing shriek reverberated through the corridor, reflecting and echoing off the walls, building into a high-pitched roar that battered down upon my senses from all sides. In the wake of this storm of sound, stand and book both were quickly dropped and forgotten. Slamming my eyes shut, my hands gripping my ears like a vice, I stumbled through the first door I came across. The screams, however, were worse here, and as I looked up in shock, I saw exactly why. On the floor of the bathroom, skittering backward, eyes wide and knuckles white, was Carmen Ramos, and towering over her, the air shimmering in fear around it, was a gigantic deer, eyes blazing as bright as the rest of its body. I raised an arm to shield myself from the light and heat of the flames rising off the deer. As I watched in horror, the deer bent its head towards Carmen its nostrils flaring quite literally, 
wisps of flame escaping from them and licking at Carmen's cheeks. Behind me, the door slammed shut. Both the deer and Carmen froze. Carmen's eyes flicked over to me, and for the briefest of instants, I could feel the utter terror emanating from her eyes. Then the deer, slowly, deliberately, turned its head to face me, and the terror became mine. Our eyes locked. The deer pawed the floor, its hoof leaving coaly streaks along the linoleum tile. I took a step back, arms raised to defend myself as best I could, eyes slammed shut, waiting for the inevitable. When I opened my eyes, the deer was gone. We were alone in the bathroom, Carmen and I. She was still lying back on the floor, staring up at nothing in abject horror. Then her gaze shifted to me, and her gaping mouth twisted into a snarl. What do you think you're looking at? She growled, rushing to her feet and brushing angrily at her jeans. I stared at her awkwardly, racking my mind for the correct words to say in this situation. Do I apologize? Well, no. I didn't do anything wrong here. Sympathize? But then I might come across as condescending. Crack a joke? Could I even do that without it being in incredibly poor taste? Eventually, the only words I managed to get out were, The deer. Carmen's glare, which had until then been focused on the cleanliness of her pants, shot right back up at me. Why are you still here? The show's over. Go home. I tilted my head at her, eyebrows furrowing. She stood awkwardly, weight shifted to one side, arms crossed over her t-shirt. No, not quite. One arm holding the other, clasping it tightly. Skin red over the elbow, too red. You're hurt, I declared, starting toward her. Her hands moved faster than lightning. Before I could step back, before I could react at all, I found myself with a small metallic object at my throat. A tuning fork, the ends of its prongs filed to sharp, fine points. Come any closer, and I'll kill you, Carmen intoned. I raised my hand slowly. You cut your arm. She scoffed. I noticed. I was just trying to help. Such a good Samaritan. What were you going to do, kiss the boo-boo away? I shrugged, or at least did the best I could with my arms raised, and took a long, deep breath. Look, I- Carmen jabbed the tuning fork at me. I felt its points digging into my trachea, threatening to break the skin, to tear open my windpipe and steal my breath away. I shut my mouth and bowed my head, keeping my hands raised high. I'm going to make myself as clear as possible. Carmen spoke in a low, measured tone, enunciating every word to make sure nothing went misunderstood. You are not to reveal to anyone the events of what happened here under any circumstances, or I'll kill you. And you are never to speak to me again, never to look at me again, never to think about me again. Or you'll kill me, I offered. Interrupt me again and I'll kill you. She hissed. We stood there in that bathroom, a tableau of secrecy and violence. She had things she preferred remain unsaid. I could understand that. I had secrets of my own, whispers in the night I'd never told anyone. But her secrets were dangerous. They could get her, or others, hurt, even killed. And as for my secrets, well, they were dangerous too. I stared up at Carmen, as slowly and purposefully as I could. She raised an eyebrow. What? I looked into her eyes. Green, a deep green, almost an emerald. But there were lighter flecks there too, little specks of tan scattered among the green. 
a deer in the forest. The words spilled from my mouth before I could even think about stopping them. I can help you. Her skeptical expression grew even more so. You can help me. And how exactly would you go about doing that? Put down the tuning fork and I'll tell you. She snorted. <laughs> Not a chance. Slowly, surely, I reached forward and tapped my finger against the center of her tuning fork. Her eyes narrowed. I saw the transition in them, from confused amusement, to genuine confusion, to fear. Her hand shook violently as she fought to maintain control. But even she could not last forever. Her hand released the tuning fork, and it clattered to the floor, leaving little burn marks of its own before collapsing into a molten mass of red-hot metal. You let go just in time, I informed her. Any longer and you might have suffered some serious burns. I'd run your hand under some cold water just to be safe. She stared at me incredulously, her right hand clenched into a fist, her left hand clasping her right. What the hell are you? She whispered. My name is Mariko Hashimoto, I replied. I know who you are. That's not what I asked. She spat. I paused. I'd figured this might come up. After all, when you display the ability to melt aluminum with a touch, the question of how the hell you can do that is bound to make an appearance. But it's not something I'm exactly itching to tell. Especially not to a woman who, seconds ago, was perfectly willing to stab me in the throat with a tuning fork. So I shook my head. I'm a person who's willing to help. That's all you need to know. She narrowed her eyes. And you expect me to trust you on just that? No, I never said trust. Then why come to me at all? Because you have a problem and I can fix it. I let the words hang in the air for a moment. Then I tilted my head and added, For a price. A laugh broke free from her throat, shattering any tension I'd managed to build up. There it is! The catch! You can melt tuning forks, but when you help someone, it's not going to be out of the goodness of your heart, is it? I don't know you, I said firmly. And if you'll recall, you started by attacking me. I'd say a price is hardly unfair. Carmen nodded, her face painted over with a hateful smirk. I understand. Really, I do. I narrowed my eyes. So, what do you say then? Another scoff from Carmen. You say you can help me, but you just don't get me. How am I supposed to expect quality service from you? She made for the door. I sidestepped to block her. It'll come back, I stated. Carmen leaned toward me. Yeah, I know. And when it does, I'll face it the way I always have. By myself. Then she pushed past me and made for the door. When I turned around, Carmen Ramos was gone. School seemed to go slower than usual, which was not an unusual occurrence, I suppose, when there was something to look forward to afterwards. I wouldn't know. I hadn't had something to look forward to in a very long time. As soon as the bell rang for the end of my last class, I bolted out of the classroom and rushed for the parking lot. There was only one gate into and out of the school, which was annoying at times, such as when you're trying to avoid people. But if you were trying to stalk one of the students on her way out, well, it was perfect. I leaned against the wall beside the gate, pulled my hood down low, and waited. It didn't take long for Carmen Ramos to show up. I heard her before I saw her. The telltale click-clack of her black leather boots echoed through and over the noise of the crowd. 
Other students parted in her wake as she strode forward, face down, glare as intense as ever. She marched past me, taking no notice whatsoever, and continued to the sidewalk, where she made a left. Pushing myself off the wall, head down, hands in the pocket of my hoodie, I followed after her. The heart of our little suburbia lay toward the right. We were headed in the opposite direction, toward the city. I mused on that for a moment. There were schools closer to the city, if not in the city itself, where she could have gone. If she'd lived in the city all her life, why go to a school that much farther away? We reached a high-rise apartment building, convenience store at the base, then windows all the way up. It was at this towering mass of glass and concrete that Carmen finally stopped. She rooted around in her backpack, muttering curses under her breath, before extracting a dull bronze key and fitting it into the lock of the rusty gate before her. Just as the gate was about to swing shut behind her, I caught it and slipped past into the building. Smooth sailing so far. Beyond lay an old wooden door, the varnish cracked in spreading lightning patterns. No lock on this one. Part of me worried about the absolute dearth of security, but the vast majority was just grateful I hadn't had to break anything. Not yet, at least. Hidden behind this door was a staircase. Suffice it to say that it was a very long staircase, and Carmen was already halfway up. I took the stairs two at a time, doing my best to control my breathing, praying that she wouldn't hear me. Carmen paused, furrowed her eyebrows as if she just remembered something very strange and had only realized now what it was. Then she turned slowly, carefully, and looked me straight in the eye. I stood frozen, holding my breath even as my chest begged for air. Carmen surveyed the rest of the stairwell, her eyes narrowing. Mind playing games again? She muttered before turning and pushing through the door behind her. The door swung shut with a thud, and I half gasped for air, half sighed in relief. I don't know if I'd have been able to hold both the invisibility and my breath at once for too much longer. Luck was on my side so far. Well, as on my side as it could be. Beyond the next door lay a long, dimly lit hallway. The walls painted an odd combination of dull yellow and mold, the lights flickering over the matted, stained carpet. The faint odor of must and burnt eggs hung in the air, accompanied by a fainter and yet more foul odor. I pulled my hoodie over my nose and surveyed the area. I hadn't seen Carmen leave the hallway, too busy musing on my own invisibility and luck, which may have just run out. After all, if I didn't know what room she was in, there wasn't really any way I could continue to track her. Carmen, what is that? What did you do to your arm? It's just a cut, Pa. Calm down. Calm down? You're bleeding. How am I supposed to calm down? The argument quickly switched to what I assumed was Spanish, although I admit it could have been Portuguese, both languages I have no idea how to speak. Whatever language it was in, I could hear every word of it, clear as day. Benefits of thin walls, I suppose. As they continued to argue, their voices growing louder and angrier, I tiptoed down the hallway, pausing at each door to listen. The shouting seemed to be concentrated toward the middle, so if I started there, I leapt back in sudden shock as the door beside which I was about to bend my ear flew open, smashing against the peeled wallpaper. I flattened myself against the wall, but Carmen, because of course it was Carmen, had taken no notice of me. She stomped her way to the end of the hall, threw open the door, and started right back down the stairs. I glanced back at the door, closed it very gingerly, took a very quick peek at the wall, there was a crack there now that I'm fairly certain had not been there before, and rushed after Carmen. The city was darker now. The sky was a deep orange, and getting deeper all the while. 
I hadn't realized how late it had gotten. Whether Carmen had or not, she didn't seem to care. She just marched on, either oblivious or apathetic, or both, to the world around her. We weaved through bright and busy streets, down dim and dingy alleyways, beneath tremulous scaffolding and across unstable overpasses. She wasn't moving too quickly, but the way she moved, eyes darting around, head low, steps jerky and uneven, gave me the impression that she wasn't trying to get to anywhere in particular. She was trying to get away. But from what? Wallet! Now! A gruff voice commanded. Carmen screeched to a halt, as did I. We had entered one of those dark alleyways, and the darkness combined with my focus on Carmen meant that I hadn't noticed the scruffy man until now. Nor, apparently, had either of us noticed the knife he held, gripped lightly at his hip for a use at a moment's notice, but we saw them all too clearly now. I hesitated. It would be so easy to save Carmen here. Grab the knife and melt it, throw him to the ground in a show of strength, or just walk up behind him and punch his lights out. But all those would mean revealing myself to Carmen. Was the situation that desperate? I didn't have time to decide. From behind me came the sound of hooves pounding against concrete at top speed. There was a roar. Not an animalistic roar, but a blazing roar. The roar of a supersonic raging inferno coming right at me. The man's eyes wandered past me, then widened. What the hell? I dove out of the flaming deer's path, crashing to the ground with a pained grunt. Carmen rushed backward falling back onto her hands. The would-be mugger was not so lucky. The deer smashed into him directly at full speed. He screamed as it bucked its head, lifting him into the air on its antlers. Then it swung against the alley wall, and with a sickening crunch, the screaming stopped. And then the deer turned back to Carmen. She hardly had time to scramble to her feet before it knocked her aside with a blow from its antlers. She soared through the air and impacted the alley wall, collapsing to the ground. As she struggled to her hands and knees, her entire body shaking with the effort, the deer pawed the asphalt, its teeth gritted, its nostrils flaring. Stop! The deer paused. Whether it was actually threatened or just taken by surprise, I didn't know. Nor did I much care. All that mattered was that I, clearly visible, now stood between the deer and Carmen's prostrate form. And the deer had stopped. Carmen glared up at me, a flame to rival the deer's blazing in her eyes. What the hell are you doing here? Saving your life, I replied, as steely as I could manage. The deer lowered its head at me, its burning eyes looking me over, surveying me. I stared back, clenching my fists, fingernails digging into my palms. Show no weakness, show no fear. Finally, after a long intense eternity, the deer snorted, bucked, and turned galloping off into the night, and Carmen and I were alone. I let out a shaky breath and turned back to Carmen, extending a hand to her. Are you alright? I'm fine. Carmen slapped my hand away and clambered to her feet. I looked her over. Her hands were filthy and cut, and her face covered in ashy stains. I suspected there'd be more than a few bruises to accompany those stains before long. Her legs were shaking too, only slightly. Hardly visibly, but shaking nonetheless. Carmen glared up at me. What the hell are you looking at? We should get you to a hospital. You're pretty badly hurt. I don't need a hospital. I don't need anything except for you to get the hell out of my face. I saved your life. You could at least say thank you. Yeah, and how did you find me in the first place? 
Were you following me? Yes. I didn't see the point in trying to conceal the truth. And you should count yourself lucky that I did, or you could have ended up like him. I gestured toward the mugger on the ground. He hadn't moved since the deer attacked him, and I suspected the worst. But he wasn't my problem at the moment. Carmen snorted. He deserved what he got. We don't know that. Sure we do. He tried to rob me. I sighed. What about you, then? Would you have deserved it? Carmen's glare deepened. This conversation's over. She brushed her hands on her jeans, then turned to leave. I grabbed her arm. Far from it. Carmen stared back at me. And in her eyes I saw, yes, annoyance, yes, anger, but also... sadness? Regret? I wasn't sure what it was, but it wasn't something I had expected. I took a breath. This was it. The second chance. I can help. I saw her pause, saw the hesitation in her eyes, and then she said it. How? Where are we going? We'd walked in silence for the next 30 minutes, both of our eyes fixed on the ground. I'm not sure what was going through her head. I suppose it didn't matter. As for me, I just didn't have to look up. I knew the way well enough by now. I sighed. You'd figure you would ask that before we left. I'm asking it now. Carmen folded her arms. She still hadn't looked at me. So tell me, where are we going? Well, you might as well have saved your breath. I stopped. We're here. The Capricorn was once a popular movie theater, or so I've been told. I'd only ever known it as the abandoned theater by the warehouse district, with cracked box office windows, peeling off-white paint, graffiti where the posters used to be. All from the early days of its abandonment, as I'd found out. Rumors had quickly spread that the theater was haunted. They weren't that far off. Carmen stared up at the cracked, unlit letters above the empty marquee and scoffed. There'd better be a hell of a dinner after this. I narrowed my eyes at her. We're not on a date. Lucky for you, because this would have been the second worst date I've been on. My eyes narrowed even further. Second worst? Carmen shrugged. She took me to the sewers. Let's just say we don't talk much anymore. I rolled my eyes and pulled open the double doors to the theater. Just follow me. The interior of the theater wasn't in quite as terrible shape as the outside. There was almost no graffiti, and nothing was cracked but the paint and a few seats. The screen loomed at the forefront of the theater, large as ever but uncomfortably, unnaturally blank. Carmen glanced around, one eyebrow raised. Don't tell me you live here. I don't live here. I didn't look at her, but put all my energy towards approaching the imposing screen. I'd done this before, more than a few times, but if I'd learned anything, it was that there was always some inherent amount of risk involved here. Best to be careful. Then what the hell are we doing here? I glanced back at Carmen, who had turned her raised eyebrow on me. Summoning a demon, I said, as calmly and seriously as I could. Carmen scoffed. Excuse me? Evidently, not seriously enough. You brought me all this way to this complete wreck of a theater, so we could summon a demon? And just in case I couldn't sense the sarcasm around the last three words, Carmen helpfully provided air quotes. We aren't doing anything, I retorted, trying to keep the annoyance from my voice. You're only here because you're the one with the problem. And what, summoning a demon is your way to fix it? Yes. I sat down, cross-legged, before the screen and closed my eyes. Now quiet. She wasn't wrong, of course, to be skeptical. 
Without first-hand experience, you'd hardly think it a viable option. Even I didn't like it. But I'd also promised to help Carmen. And to do that, I needed advice. I needed help. And I needed to be unafraid. I am Mariko Hashimoto, a child of Earth. I call upon you, the one known here as Mind's Eye. Rise from the depths and answer my call. My voice echoed through the theater, reverberating and circulating until it filled the room. Theater acoustics. Nothing quite like them when it comes to drama. Or, I suppose, supernatural focus. All those emotions, all that spectacle, all that creativity and imagination crammed into a single room. It's the perfect place to draw out an apparition. I could feel the room pulsing and throbbing, as if space-time itself was being shaken at its very core. All the colors of the universe, and then some, flashed before my eyes. The entirety of reality reached out, and I took its hand, allowing myself to be dragged to the furthest reaches of possibility. Galaxies flew by, turning and churning and burning with life and time, until they turned and churned and burned no more, and were left naught but stardust. The Milky Way melted away into a child's crayon drawing, and in the streaks of violet wax I saw the Earth, tied down between the minutest threads of cellulose. I reached for the tiny blue speck, and caught it up, letting all of human experience play across my fingertips. And then I set it free. I opened my eyes with a gasp. I was in the theater again. I had never left. Behind me, standing in the center aisle, stood Carmen, her eyes wide, her hand over her mouth in shock. And before me, at the front of the theater, bathed in prismatic light, stood a being unfathomable, both human and completely, utterly alien. The being looked me over carefully, then gave a curt nod. Mariko Hashimoto, it's been a while. It has, I stood, clearing my throat. The being eyed Carmen, who hadn't moved an inch. I take it this isn't a social chat? Hardly. I turned back to Carmen. It's okay, they won't hurt you. I could see Carmen's mind working, straining to process what had just occurred in front of her. It didn't seem to be going well. The being and I locked eyes. Allow me to do the honors. I motioned to Carmen. All yours. The being stepped forward with a flourishing bow. Hello there. My name is Mind's Eye. I'm a demon from hell. Well, one of them at least. Let's see. 3,746 years old. Enjoys long walks on the beach, tridents, fire, and the occasional cuddle. If any or all of these things interest you, feel free to swipe right. Happy to meet you. I'm... Carmen Ramos. Carmen stammered back. I don't like any of those things. Mind's eye flashed a smile. Oh, how dull. But we'll work on that, won't we? If I'm not interrupting, I said as firmly as I could. Mind's eye glanced back at me. Yes, of course. You were saying something. I planted my feet and fixed Mind's eye with a stare. Carmen Ramos has a problem. Hell of an understatement. Carmen muttered behind me. A supernatural problem, I continued. In the past 24 hours, she's been attacked twice by a deer on fire. You're sure this isn't a problem for the ASPCA? I shook my head. It's an apparition. It can appear and disappear out of nowhere. And I think it can sense what I am, I thought, but did not say. From what I've seen, its sole mission seems to be to kill Carmen. Mind's eye considered my words for a moment. Then they looked over my shoulder at Carmen. Is this true? Carmen shrugged. More or less. Mind's eye folded their arms. 
I can't help you if you aren't giving the full story, Carmen. A pause. Then Carmen took a breath. It wasn't just today. It's been happening for the past three months. Every time I feel afraid, or threatened, or hurt, it's there. I stared at Carmen. That crack in her voice. The first time I'd felt any emotion from her at all except anger. What was she hiding? Mind's eye nodded somberly. I see. At least I think I do. Then tell us. I folded my arms and turned my stare upon Mind's eye. Tell us what the deer wants. Tell us its objective. Well, that's easy. To protect. To protect? Protect what? This has nothing to do with Carmen. Of course it does. It has everything to do with her. I shook my head, slowly, hesitantly. Whatever that deer was doing, it wasn't protecting Carmen. I'd say it was doing quite the opposite. Well, then you haven't been listening. She said herself, Lydia showed up when she was feeling afraid, hurt, threatened, and at no other time. It makes sense. Maybe it wasn't exactly protecting me, but there's a kind of twisted logic to it. The deer showed up at school right after you were talking to me. I didn't see anything that would make you feel threatened there. Carmen leveled a cool, condescending stare at me. I'm practicing my oboe when I catch the weird kid staring into my soul. I may have felt a little threatened. I opened my mouth for a witty response, but then thought better of it. Fair enough, I replied instead. But that still doesn't explain how it confused protect for attack. Mind's eye sighed. You're just not getting this, are you? The answer's right there. So obvious. You're just asking the wrong questions. Then tell me the right question. I was getting annoyed now. Mind's eye shook their head lightly. It's not your question. I took a breath, mentally preparing to give a paranormal, eternal entity the argument of their life. Then I paused and turned around. Carmen was standing there, hands folded, head down. She looked up at me. Her eyebrows twitched for a second, but then her expression settled into serenity. She was beautiful. And in that moment, I realized whose question it was. What's the deer's name? A smile crossed Mind's eye's face. And when they answered, they did so with one word. Renita. I'm in my bed, being tucked in by my mother. I'm seven, maybe eight. I'm young. Still young enough that being tucked in by my mother before bed isn't embarrassing. I stare up at her. Do you really have to go away? She smiles back, brushes her hand gently against my cheek. It's only for a little while, darling. I'll be back soon, God willing. And I'll call when I can, okay? I pull the covers up to my chin. It's not the same. She nods. Her smile fades just a little. I know, honey, but I'll be back soon. And while I'm gone, you'll have Renito to keep you safe, won't you? Renito. One of those stuffed reindeer that just show up in every store around Christmas. It wasn't even Rudolph. Just some random reindeer I'd said I wanted, and my mother had bought it for me. I'd slept with it ever since. And when my mother wasn't there, she'd slip Renito under the covers with me and charge him with protecting me while she was away. She does just that now. I giggle and clutch Renito to my chest. He's your guardian, my mother says. Your protector, to keep you safe until I get back. You can trust him, right? Right. Has he failed you before? No. My mother smiles and ruffles my hair. Then he won't fail you now. She bends down and kisses my forehead. Now, say your prayers and go to sleep. I'll be back in no time. This is the last time I ever see my mother. Years pass. 
Every day, I ask my father when my mother will be back. Every day, he tells me that he doesn't know. Eventually, he stops answering, and eventually, I stop asking. I'm 12 now, angry at the world like every 12-year-old is, but I have a reason. It's a Tuesday, otherwise a normal day. It also happens to be my mother's birthday. I hadn't done anything for it in the years since she left, but for some reason, today, I feel like I need to do something. I grab a cupcake from the cupboard. It's not much, but it's all we have now. After the move to the city, my father stopped letting us buy fancy stuff like cake and donuts. Every so often, we'd get a box of cupcakes, and we'd split one every day until they ran out. But I don't split this one. I feel like my mother deserves her cupcake whole. I place the cupcake before me. Chocolate, with chocolate frosting and rainbow sprinkles. My favorite. My mother's favorite, too. I stick a candle in the top and light it. Happy birthday, Mama, I murmur, and take a breath to blow out the candle. But I don't blow it out. My father comes home 20 minutes later. The candle is still burning, down to the last centimeter or so, and I'm sitting before it, head in my folded arms, watching the fire dance. My father sighs behind me. Carmen, it's okay if you want a whole cupcake, but please ask me first, okay? Where's Mama? My father stops. He stares at me, his eyebrows nodding. In the light of the dancing fire, he looks old. She's not here. I see that. I push the chair back and stand up, glaring at him. Where is she? My father looks down, away from me. I'll tell you when you're older. I want to know now, I scream. I scream at my father, because in that moment, he's not the man who raised me. The man who sat with me telling jokes. The man who used to buy me cake and donuts. In that moment, he's a man keeping secrets from me, and I hate him for it. The man I hate shakes his head. I can't tell you. Why not? I scream back. Carmen, lower your voice. The neighbors will hear. I don't care. Tell me where she is. Tell me what happened to her. Carmen, please, calm down. Did you do something to her? Did you hurt her? Did you kill her? That's enough. The man I hate snaps. He glares at me. It's not a look I've seen on him before. I stare at him in shock. Why won't you just tell me? He shakes his head and stares down at the floor. I can't tell you. I stare at him for just a moment longer. Then I scoff and turn away. You're useless. And I march to my room, slamming the door behind me. It's only once I sit down on my bed that I realize that I'm still holding the cupcake. On top, the little candle is still flickering, just barely holding on. I glance to my right, toward the head of my bed. My pillow is there sitting atop my blanket folded beneath it. And on top of the pillow sits Renito. He's dirtier than he was. Little stains on his body, loose threads hanging from the seams, bits of stuffing showing here and there. But if I squint, he looks the same, exactly as he did on the day my mother left. And suddenly I am angry again. Not at my father, though. This time I'm angry at my mother. Angry for leaving without a word, for giving me hope that she'd come back and then never following through, for never even telling me that she was okay, if she was okay. I hate her in this moment. Hate her more than I've ever hated anyone. I snatch up Renito and throw him across the room. He hits the wall and falls to the floor, both with a light thump. Not good enough. Not big enough. I need it to hurt. The cupcake's still in my hand, the hand I didn't use to throw Renito. Candle's still burning. With a scream, I hurl the cupcake toward Renito, candle and all. It's a perfect shot. Renito catches fire easily. 
His loose threads and exposed stuffing make for great kindling. No fire alarms go off. We can't afford those anymore. The only one noticing, the only one watching, is me, letting Renito burn. Soon, all that's left of my protector is a pile of smoking ash. And still I watch. Are we beginning to understand now? We were still in the theater, Carmen, Mind's Eye, and myself. The screen, illuminated with Carmen's memories until just a few seconds ago, had gone blank once more. Carmen glared at Mind's Eye. I didn't say you could go into my head. And I didn't bother to ask, but you needed to understand. Both of you. You needed to see the sequence of events yourselves. You could have just asked me what happened to Renito. Mind's Eye raised an eyebrow. And would you have told me? Carmen pursed her lips, but remained silent. Mind's Eye spread their arms. An object, imbued with enough emotion, can become possessed, can become animate. Such an object can even be used as a, a tool or charged with a mission. In this case, quite accidentally, I believe, but effectively nonetheless, your little stuffed reindeer was given the task of protecting you. But it hasn't been protecting her. It's been attacking her. It tried to kill her. Well, if someone set you on fire, I suspect you'd be just a tad ticked off with them, too. Okay, fine. I began pacing. Assuming everything you speculated is accurate... It is. Why now? It's been five years since Carmen burned Renito. Why is it only now, three months ago, that he started coming back? That's an excellent question. Mind's eye turned to Carmen. Miss Ramos, care to offer some insight? Why don't you just take another peek into my brain and find out? Mind's eye shrugged. Well, I certainly could. But something tells me that would not be your preferred option. I don't care either way, you'd only be hurting yourself. Carbon pursed her lips in anger, but no witty response came forth from her mouth. She simply folded her arms. Three months ago, I came home a little early from school. My father was on the phone with someone I didn't hear who. They were talking about plans for something. Maybe lunch or dinner. I didn't think anything of it. Not until my father said, I love you. Carmen was staring intently at the ground, her fists clenched, her expression blank. I didn't know what to think. I still don't. And it's certainly been long enough for him, but... When I heard him say that, all I could think of was my mother. Where she was. What she was doing. If she found anyone, too. Her voice dropped to a whisper. She was still alive to find anyone. I stared at the ground, too. I understood. Not exactly. This exact problem had never happened to me. But I understood the sentiment. Of having loved and having lost, and never really knowing what became of the one you loved. I understood all too well. Mind's eye regarded Carmen curiously, looked her over, weighing her in their mind, deciding what to do with her next. Then they nodded. Would you like to know? Carmen's head bolted up, her sharp gaze leveled at Mind's eye. Now what? Of your mother. What became of her? Of what her life has been like since she parted ways with you and your father? Mind's eye tilted their head, eyes still fixed on Carmen. Carmen's eyes widened. She took a shaky breath. You know what happened to her? Mind's eye scoffed. Do I? No. But I can find out quite easily. Would you like to see? I saw Carmen's eyes light up. 
saw her fists unclench just a fraction, her shoulders inch that slight bit upwards, heard her draw in the tiniest of gasps, and I stepped forward. Wait. Carmen and Mind's Eye both whipped around to look at me. Mind's Eye in amusement, Carmen in fury. You are not going to have taken me this far just to stop me here. I'm not going to stop you. I raised my hands in a gesture of peace. I just want to make sure we know what we're getting into first. Mind's Eye waved a dismissive hand at me. Relax, Miss Hashimoto. I'm not asking for anything in return. Not yet. I folded my arms. But I know how you work. Mind's Eye chuckled. <laughs> Good to be cautious, then. But no, there's nothing I desire from Miss Ramos. In any case, you're the one who brought her to me, so let's just consider this an extension of our deal, shall we? I stared at Mind's Eye as sternly as I could. They stared back, still showing no emotion but amusement. Finally, I sighed. Fine. I accept. Mind's Eye nodded. As you wish. The theater screen flickered to life. A room faded in. White walls, an open window, lace curtains blowing in the breeze. A sunny day outside. Blue skies over a green arboreal oasis. And looking down upon that deciduous paradise, laying back against the windowsill, was a woman I would not have recognized ten minutes ago, but who I would have said looked strangely like Carmen Ramos. Carmen Ramos herself stood straight up, staring agape at the screen. That's her. She murmured to no one in particular. That's not me. I glanced sidelong at Mind's eye. They returned the gaze, all amusement gone from their eyes. I took a breath. Carmen Ramos's mother looked up from the view and smiled. I almost thought, for a split second, that she was smiling at us. And then he came into view. One of those men with a permanent five o'clock shadow, a square-set jaw and perfect shining teeth. Carmen Ramos's mother embraced this man, and they looked out onto the view together. I took a quick peek at Carmen. All her calm and serenity had gone. Her shoulders were tense, her fists clenched, her teeth grinding together like marble upon stone. Who is he? She spoke, her tone measured, just barely held back. His name's Vincent. He and your mother met four years ago while she was traveling. They started dating not long after. It's a touching story, if a little on the long side. But she's happy. Carmen's voice was laden with disbelief, with misunderstanding, or with refusal to understand. She's fine. Yes. Carmen rounded on Mind's eye, the fury returning to her eyes. How? How can she be fine? She abandoned us, left us in the dirt, and now she's just... fine? How could she do that? Shall I tell you? Carmen gestured sharply toward Mind's eye. Please. Mind's eye sat in one of the seats toward the front of the theater, crossing their legs. They glanced at Carmen, who begrudgingly took up the seat beside them. I leaned against the wall at the other end of the screen, folding my arms. Not my conversation. They sat in silence for a moment. Then Mind's eye took a breath. Your mother didn't cheat on your father, if that's what you're suspecting. Nor was it the other way around. No, this was a simple case of mutual incompatibility gone very wrong. Carmen narrowed her eyes. And what's that supposed to mean? Well, your mother and your father were incompatible in the most very basic of ways. Your mother preferred the company, shall we say, of men. And? And so did your father. Carmen's eyebrows furrowed. She opened her mouth to respond, closed it, then opened it again. My father's gay. Indeed he is. Okay. 
So what's the issue? I don't care if he's gay. Mind's Eye leaned back, clasping their hands before them. Well, maybe you don't, but your mother certainly did. Carmen blinked. What do you mean? Oh, think about it, Miss Ramos. Of your parents, which was the one who always took you to Mass on Christmas and Easter? The one who insisted you keep the Bible next to your bed till you were seven? The one who'd always make you say grace before meals no matter how hungry you were? Carmen stared blankly at the floor again. My mother. Mind's eye nodded. They were staring at the floor too. You spent so long missing your mother, pining after her memory that you forgot that she was human too. You forgot about all the things she did that you hated. All the beliefs she held that you never really understood or cared about. Not then. Carmen's gaze remained transfixed on the floor before her. My father is gay. And when my mother found out, she left it. Mind's eye shook their head. Not just left. Drained. Took from him everything she could get her hands on, things she couldn't believe he deserved. And he let her. It was only when she tried to take you that he fought back. So they reached a deal. She could take whatever she wanted, do anything she desired, fly away as far and as fast as she could. So long as I never heard one bit of it. The words tumbled bitterly from Carmen's mouth. From where I was standing, I saw her eyes glisten. Mind's eye nodded solemnly. Exactly right, Miss Ramos. Carmen sat in that seat, frozen, completely unmoving, for longer than seemed humanly possible. I pondered getting up to see if she was okay, before I realized that she was not frozen. She was shaking her head, slowly, mechanically, devoid of emotion. I understand that it's hard to accept, Ms. Rawls, but this is the way things- No! Carmen shot to her feet, glaring daggers at Mind's eye. You're wrong! She spat, her heavy breathing accentuating every word. That's not who my mother is. She's a good person. A good mother. My mother, she wouldn't do that. Carmen glanced up, staring down the center aisle, her eyes filling with despair. Would she? I followed her gaze, my own eyebrows furrowed. Then they shot straight up, and I pushed off the wall, fists clenched tight. For standing there, before the peeling double doors and atop the sugar-stained carpet, stood, tall and terrifying as ever before, heat rolling off it in crescending waves, the flaming deer. I drew my foot back, preparing to charge the deer. I knew it was afraid of me, or at least apprehensive of me. That had held true until now. All I had to do was make a distraction so Carmen could run for it. A hand on my shoulder. I glanced wildly to my left. Mind's eye was standing there, staring at me with the most serious expression I'd ever seen on their face. Calm down, Miss Hashimata. This is something she has to do alone. I turned back to the center aisle. At one end stood Carmen, stiff, upright, hesitant. At the other, the deer burned bright as it ever had, flames bursting from its nostrils with every snort. Is it true, Renito? Echoed Carmen's voice from somewhere within the gulf that stretched between us. Is any of it true? Is all of it? The deer pawed the ground, bucking and snorting, bowing its searing head across the aisle. Carmen took a breath. She'd suspected from the beginning, I think, that Mind's Eye was telling the truth. But the motion of the deer confirmed it for her. Now she knew. Carmen scoffed. Not in arrogance or in superiority, but in complete and utter disbelief. Then the scoff grew into a chuckle, grew into a laugh, grew into a howl of laughing despair that filled and reverberated through the theater. The deer, Mind's Eye, and myself all stared at her. Evidently, 
none of us had any idea what to do. Carmen's eyes were fixed on Ronito. This is ridiculous. All my life, I wanted you around. I wanted to know where you were, if you were okay, why you'd never come back. And now, right when I learned the truth about you, you come sauntering right back into my life. And it isn't even really you. Carmen took a step toward the deer. I braced myself, in case I had to make a run for it, to stand in the way of danger again. But the deer didn't move. You abandoned us. Carmen glared at the deer, her eyes filled not with the annoyance I'd seen in them, but with hatred. Actual, burning hatred. You just up and left without so much as a proper goodbye. You made my father lie to me to protect the fact that you're just a scumbag, off living your own life, not giving a damn about me. About what I'm going through. About what I have to deal with every single day, and half of it's because of you anyway. Carmen's eyes were wild now, and wet with tears. She'd managed to stumble closer to the deer too. Maybe too close. I wasn't sure if I'd be able to pull her out of harm's way if things went south. And you know what the worst part is? Carmen scoffed again, rubbing furiously at her eyes. I still love you, Mummy. I still miss you. And if you were here right now and you gave me a hug, I'd probably still forgive you. Carmen turned her gaze on the deer. It hadn't moved the whole time she was talking, just eyed her with mild interest. But she was devoting her whole attention, her whole life, her whole soul to it. Don't you get it, Mummy? I heard her voice crack just the slightest bit. If there's anyone I need protection from now, it's you. The deer's gaze snapped at Carmen, and she froze. Now it was staring at her, staring intently, its eyes blazing just as much as the rest of its body. I ran some quick calculations in my head. If I sprinted as fast as I could, I could make it to her in two, maybe three seconds. But would that be enough time for the deer to attack her? To hurt her? I didn't know. The deer took a step forward. It was maybe a foot away from Carmen now, and now it was all too easy to see the exact extent to which it towered over her. She glanced up at the deer. Do it. I stared at Carmen incredulously. She stopped shaking. All the fear seemed to have drained from her body. She stood tall before the deer, glaring into its eyes with twisted determination. You've spent this whole time attacking me, fighting me, hurting me. Why stop now? Why not finish the job? Come on. I want you to do it. You hear me, you coward? Do it! Tears were streaming down Carmen's cheeks, and this time she made no effort to conceal them. She just glared up at the deer, arms outstretched, face set. The deer lowered its head. I tensed against the wall. One push and I could be off if I was fast enough, if I was strong enough. But the deer didn't attack. It pushed its head gently against Carmen's arm, then stared at her expectantly. She reached out, gingerly, hesitantly, and patted the burning deer. She brushed her hand against its face, running her fingers through its hair, and chuckled softly. The deer pushed its head towards Carmen's chest. She took hold of it and hugged it tightly, burying her head in its fur. And as the tears streamed forth from her eyes, they ran down the deer's head in trickles of flickering water. The flames along the deer's body waned, then faded away to wisps of dark smoke. And when the smoke cleared, all I saw was Carmen, standing in the center of the theater, surrounded by nothing but ash. The next day was another average, glorious day at American Public High School. 
I'd set up at a table by the north entrance again, and was leafing through a book I'd picked up at the library a few days ago. The Scapegoat, it was called, by Daphne du Maurier. It had an interesting premise, if a little unbelievable. So too with life, I suppose. What do you think you're looking at? Came Carmen Ramos's voice from somewhere beyond the book. I lowered du Maurier slowly, peering over the top at Carmen. She was standing before me, arms folded, foot tapping, a sour expression on her face. My eyebrows furrowed lightly. What was she doing here? Or at least, what was she doing talking to me? I'm reading? I figured. Looks super interesting. She replied in a tone that told me that she did not, in fact, find it super interesting at all. We sat and stood, respectively, for a few long minutes, each watching the other warily, neither of us daring to make the first move. Finally, I sighed. I helped you with your problem. Carmen scoffed. We'll see if it sticks. Well, you've been talking to the weird kid for at least a minute now, and I don't see a single flame, so... I shrugged. Carmen nodded slowly. Yeah. I don't know for sure, but I think it's gone. I feel different. Lighter. Hmm. My eyes began to wander back down to Du Maurier. I wasn't particularly interested in what happened next, but anything had to be better than whatever this interaction was. Why wasn't she leaving? I cleared my throat. Is there something else you needed me to do? Because if not- The pay. She blurted out, her gaze falling to the floor. I blinked. I'm sorry? You said you'd help me for a price or something like that. Carmen didn't look at me, glaring holes into the linoleum floor. So let's get it over with so I can move on with my life. I frowned. Had I mentioned a price? I suppose I could have. But it didn't really matter to me now. The job was done. I'd helped her. And in the end, she'd done all the difficult parts herself. So I shook my head. Forget the price. I don't need anything. Carmen's glare deepened. You're the one who brought it up. Yes, and now I'm saying to forget about it. Just live your life the way you want to, without having to worry about flaming deer or apparitions. That'll be reward enough. God, you're an idiot. Fine. If you won't ask, I'll do it. I blinked again. Ask what? Are you serious? Ask you on a date. I froze. Daphne du Maurier tumbled from my hands onto the floor. I tried to reply, but my mouth just opened and closed repeatedly and uselessly. Carmen smirked. I'll take that as a yes. My vocal cords still in a state of shock. I had to settle for a swift and vigorous nod. Carmen nodded right back in satisfaction. Alright then. I'll see you Friday night. I'm gonna assume you didn't have any other plans. I wasn't sure whether to nod or shake my head at that one, so I just shrugged. Fair enough. I'll see you then. And as she turned and walked away, I could barely, just barely, if I squinted and stared hard enough, make out the shadow of a deer cast over her. Just in case she needed it, I suppose. For protection. Stories aren't real. They're just a way for us to try to understand the lives into which we were born. And maybe there isn't much to understand. We live, we laugh, we love, we leave. And everyone else moves on. Except when they don't. And from that hesitancy, from that reluctance to relinquish the past and continue forward, a story is born. Fiery omens, secretive families, deceptive flaws, and hidden strengths. Think 
listener, what is the most predictable, unremarkable, familiar part of your life? Even there, you may yet find surprises. Thank you again to Ari Ryder, Christine Nguyen, Nicole Penrod, and Julio Urquidy for your collaboration on this episode. The songs featured were Her Grass Will Not Grow by Halak Hill, Freri, Salu, and Sundres by Kai Engel, and Lurking in the Shadows and Drafty Places by Eric Matias. Additional sounds and music were created by Patrick Lieberkind, Big Man Joe, and Clank Belt. For links to purchase or listen to the music featured in our episode, or to learn more about our pieces, artists, and readers, please visit our website, monstersoutofthecloset.com. Our next episode, Darkness, will be released on December 25th. In the meantime, we're looking for submissions to feature in upcoming episodes like Gothic, Nightmare, Double, and Beyond. You can learn more about themes, submission details, and voice acting opportunities on our website's submit page. You can also stay up to date with podcast news and our spooky sense of humor at monstersoutofthecloset.tumblr.com and at pod underscore monsters on Twitter. Special thanks to our supporting producers, Dara Rangan, Lindsay Holt, Cerro Lopez, and Lourdes Kaland, as well as all of our other patrons who help us compensate our contributing writers. You still have a few days before the end of November to join our Patreon as a new or upgraded member to receive a free exclusive sticker, so get yours while you can. And lastly, thank you so much for listening. See you next month. Monsters out. Monsters out.